For even more in-depth thoughts and opinions on the most recent releases and all of your favorite films, be sure to follow True Critic on Twitter at RideQuistJake. True Critic is always releasing fresh, spoiler-free analyses on movies every week and is always open to suggestions on films that you would like him to watch. Once again, that's True Critic on Twitter at RideQuistJake. That's at R-Y-D-Q-U-I-S-T-J-A-K-E. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the final episode of the first season of the True Critic Podcast. As always, I'm Jake Rydquist, and I'm delighted to be joined by my reoccurring guest, great friend, and college roommate Cam Zierick. Cam, how are you doing today? I'm absolutely delighted to be here for this one. Yeah, I would uh, I would say this is probably the episode we were looking forward to the most, and yep. that is uh, that is our top 10 movies of the 2010s. Big one. Yeah, 2010 to 2019, a lot of movies came out, yep. and we each picked 10 of our own that we would consider better than the rest. Saw and a lot of movies, too. We did see a ton of movies, especially over the last couple of years, but... Yep. Um, this this list was insanely hard to make. Yeah, it took me a long <laughs> time. A lot of redrafts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's multiple lists I have out there and even the one I settled on, like <laughs> I still feel really, really bad leaving some <laughs> movies out. But um It's hard. Because this was a great decade for movies. There's a lot of great movies that came out this year. Yeah, this decade, sorry. Yep. But um Yeah, and uh we I would love to get in depth on some of these movies. So um before we get into our top ten, let's get into some honorable mentions here. How many did you have? How many honorable mentions? I have uh, seven or okay. eight yeah. honorable mentions, four okay. of which were very difficult to leave off. So uh, uh, first couple honorable mentions, I have Avengers Endgame. Mm-hmm. That was tough to leave off. Uh, the Lighthouse from this year. Yeah. Birdman, uh, Flight, and Blue Valentine. Yeah. And then some of the more difficult ones to leave off uh, were Wreck-It Ralph back in 2012. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. Right. Probably one of my favorite animated movies of all mm-hmm. time her which i think is the best romance movie of the decade uh drive nice. back in 2011 yeah and inception christopher nolan's epic all the way back at the start of the decade 2010. yeah yeah those are all excellent movies and uh we discussed before the show so any of your honorable mentions are not going to be on my list and any of my honorable mentions aren't going to be on yours Correct. so all the movies yep. we're going to talk about on the list are going to be ones you haven't heard either of us mention yet mm-hmm. but um so yeah i had um i think it was right around 15 honorable mentions <laughs> um some of them are the same as yours so i had like wreck it ralph on there drive on there inception mm-hmm. um all the great movies wreck it ralph definitely being one of my favorite animated movies of the decade but um just a quick run through of some of the other ones that um i wanted to get on here but i couldn't um I had Nightcrawler, I had uh, Joker in the Lighthouse, uh, American Sniper, Hacksaw Ridge, Sicario, and uh, Hereditary, and my favorite comedy of the decade, The Other Guys. Oh. The Other Guys back in 2010, I still think is the funniest movie that came out over the last 10 years, and uh, I wish I could have got it on there, but I just couldn't. (laughs) But... um, (laughs) And now, like you said, you had a couple that were especially hard to leave off, right? Yeah. And uh, I had I had four. So putting putting in the last three spots on my list was so hard yeah. because I would say one through seven came to me pretty quickly, <laughs> and uh, and I was like I felt comfortable with where they were at on my list. Yeah. That eight, nine, ten was really hard. Not easy. And at that all. was where I spent a majority of my time, like mixing in different things. But um. So, so here's some four movies that could have been in any of those eight, nine, ten spots, but at the end of the day, I felt I just couldn't leave. I just couldn't get them in there. The first one is uh, the Tree of Life, probably a movie not a lot of you listeners have uh, heard of or seen. It's 2011, starring Brad Pitt, directed by Terrence Malick. It's a uh, it's a hybrid film, so it's uh it's got like a narrative story to it, but it's also an experimental film. So it's got like these shots and these long scenes where it's just um it doesn't really um coincide with the story at all and in this in this movie it's just a lot of shots of just nature and it's not like it's just like a like um almost like b-roll footage it's like blatant shots of these grand landscapes that are nowhere near where the story takes place which is in rural texas but and it's just these 
really cool things that make you think about the meaning of life, why we're here, and it's cool. And I really appreciate this movie because it's also a coming-of-age movie for this young boy at the center of the story. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool that you get to see themes like that outside of a sci-fi movie, which is where you'd normally see yeah. meaning-of-life type movies. Yeah. So I really appreciated that. And then um, two more. two of My two favorite superhero movies of the decade did not make it on my list. And those two are Kick-Ass from 2010, directed by <laughs> Matthew Vaughn. Movie great movie i've seen it probably more times than i can count now and it is still fresh and funny every mm-hmm. time i watch it but it's also really dark but in a but it's in a way that totally works mm-hmm. and it's because of matthew vaughn guy knows how to make a movie yeah. and then also logan from 2017 yeah, logan's awesome. logan i really wanted to get on um uh, either that eight nine or ten slot but i think the movies that i ended up putting on my list are just a little bit better but logan i think is i probably like it a little bit more than kick-ass so it's probably my favorite superhero movie of the yeah. decade but it is it's dark it's gritty yeah. it's new it's it's fresh and it's just all these actors that are in it are especially the lead ones Hugh Jackman and yeah. Patrick Stewart at at their peak yeah I think it's the best performance they hit every give. everything on the nose it was mm-hmm. everything you want from a movie right yeah and then the very last one the one that was the hardest to leave off and was pr- would probably be number 11 on this list but um my favorite movie of 2019, Uncut Gems, did, oh, yeah. did not make the list. <laughs> and that was really, really hard for me. Yeah, but, it's a um, great movie. Yeah, so that on my official top 10 of the 2010s list, I don't have a single movie from 2019. And you and I have talked about multiple yep. times how good of a year it was for movies. Yep. And, I mean, this list may not reflect it, but 2019 was still a really good year for movies. And Uncut Gems still has a very, very special place in my heart. And yeah. I think the 2019 yeah. was the third best movie of the decade, but I oh, yeah. also have zero movies on this list. Yeah, it's it's just yeah, and like there are movies like um like 2018 was not a great year for movies. No, it wasn't. But I have a movie from 2018 yep. on my list, so <laughs> and so it's just that's just how it ended up working out. And I feel it feels wrong that I don't have uncut gems on my list, but <laughs> I'm glad I was able to give it a shout out here. But definitely yeah. still see that movie. But um, so this is gonna work. Very similar to all the other lists we've done. We're just going to mm-hmm. go back and forth all the way from 10 to 1 sharing our movies. And if I'm I'm pretty sure we've discussed our lists a little bit, I don't think we're going to have as many overlaps as we've had in the past. Yeah. I know we'll have one for sure of a movie in the same spot. Yeah. And then we've got, I think it's the only two or three maybe other movies where we both have it on our list, but it's in different spots. Yeah, I believe that to be the case. <laughs> Excuse me. So, um, yeah. So I think most of the list should be pretty um, balanced and should be a lot of variety here. So let's just get right into it then with your number 10. What do you have at number 10? Number 10, I have Spider-Man <laughs> Into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> yes, amazing I absolutely movie. <laughs> love this movie. So it has a crew of directors that I don't know off the top of my head. But it's written by Phil Lord, the same writer of the Lego movie. And the which, Jump Street movies. Yeah, yeah, and the Jump Street movies, which are all really funny. <laughs> yeah. So Spider-Verse is a hilarious movie. Right. Um, there's, a, there's a couple individual moments that I laughed so hard in the theater, like when he throws a bagel in the... Yeah, <laughs> yeah it just says bagel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's got a great villain in Kingpin. Uh, yeah, definitely. They do a good job with his uh, character. Mm-hmm. Um, I... In my opinion, I think Miles Morales is the most likable Spider-Man we've had so far. Cool. The yeah. way they, the way they like start this origin story is like it's so grounded, and it's so personal to him. Like you have all these things going on in this movie about other Spider-Men, yeah, and Spider-Woman, um, but this still feels like it's Miles Morales' story. Yeah, I would. Which is what I that. one of the things I love about this movie the most, and. It might, it might also be the biggest surprise of arguably the decade. Yeah, because there was not any anticipation for this movie right. i know a lot of people that i know that were not looking for this movie at all they saw mm-hmm. the trailer they were like this movie's gonna suck because mm-hmm. they didn't like the way sony was dealing with the spider-man character right they wanted them to go to marvel and mm-hmm. so when this movie came out i feel like mm-hmm. there wasn't that much expectations and it just yeah surpassed everything yeah i uh so this movie was on my honorable mentions just missed my list but i, uh, I wanted to make sure it was fresh when you talked about it mm-hmm. but yeah, a big part of, I think, uh, the success of this movie is that, yeah, when those trailers first came out, everybody's like, do we really need this? Yeah. You know, because, like, I mean, we have so many animated like, mm-hmm. Batman movies, you know, any Marvel movies, mm-hmm. Avengers movies. There are a lot of animated ones, straight to DVD, stuff like that. Yeah. A lot of stuff nobody's heard of. Mm-hmm. And it was like, why is this getting a theatrical release? And, like, is it really going to be good? Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. Yes. Everything about it works and works really, really well. I love the animation style of it. Yeah. It is the most unique animated yeah, looking feels, I think I've seen very this, much its own. this decade. Yeah. And yeah, I love Kingpin. He's in so many ways, so many, be- so much better than a lot of the villains we've gotten in like mainstream superhero movies, like mm-hmm. live action ones. Yeah. 
yeah, Miles Morales is great. Even Peter B. Parker in the yeah. movie is awesome. I the whole supporting cast in this movie. The soundtrack and is great. The soundtrack is awesome. Had one of the better movie or uh, better songs. I, yeah, uh, exactly. Sunflower. Exactly. Yeah. And yet you wouldn't think a mo- uh, soundtrack compiled entirely of clean rap mm-hmm. would work as well as it does both it does. in and outside of the movie. And it, it works really well. It helps with the setting too. It really it really does. The whole queen setting. Mm-hmm. And yeah. But yeah, definitely highly recommend it. Has some great it. stuff with uh, his uncle, uh, Miles Rouse's uncle. Right. I can't remember his name off the top of my yeah. head. There's, there's a lot of conflicting relationships in this movie. And it's really, really interesting. It's really heartfelt. It's emotional. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the like, ending's awesome. Probably more relatable than any other Spider-Man movie. Yeah. And just like in the terms of the themes it um, which is, tackles. Which is interesting because it's like the most far-fetched exactly. Spider-Man story we've gotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you have all these universes coming together. Right, yeah. And the way it ties up stuff with his family. Mm-hmm. And just, um, and even, even the twists the movie has. Yeah. Like, especially from an animated movie and a superhero movie, like, I did not, ex- I did it not. It gets kind of dark yeah, at times, it's, too. It's, yeah, it's, but like I said, there's a lot in this movie, but it all works so yeah. well. It flows really well for how much is in there, and I really, really love this movie, yeah, too. Yeah, it's, that comes yeah. in at number 10 for me. Yeah, definitely. Great pick. My number 10 is uh, the one movie on my list from 2018, and that is uh, Mid-90s, directed by Jonah Hill. Yes. Now, Mid-90s is um one of those movies that, I probably just saw at the perfect time in my life. Mm-hmm. And I was a senior in high school, like everybody's getting ready to take the next step in their life. And so there was a lot in this movie that was just so incredibly, it felt so relatable and authentic. It felt like almost every character I saw in this movie, like I know a person like that. Yeah. And so that's why it made this movie so like engaging, almost like is an understatement because like I was just like glued to this movie because I can, I literally could picture this happening like mm-hmm. right in front of me. Yeah. And like, I have zero interest in skateboarding. Yeah. <laughs> and the movie centers around a 13 year old kid or 12 year old, however old he is growing up in Los Angeles and skateboarding. Yeah. And the only reason I went to go see this movie is because it was dire- Jonah Hill's directorial debut. Yeah. And I ended up walking out of this movie. I love it so much. I've seen it again and again and again. And it is just, but I just can't get over how authentic and real it is. And it's especially, and it's a big part of it is in its uh, portrayal of just conversation. Yeah. Cause you get these older kids talking to a younger kid. And like, I grew up real, I grew up neighbors that were older than me yep. and like would, and like we would like, you know, do like play baseball, do whatever, like yeah. hang out together. And it's, it's so real. You, yeah. you look up to them in this weird way, but yeah. they're like, they say things they totally shouldn't be saying. Yeah. And it's, I just, I cannot get over how like perfect mid nineties is for someone like especially in high school but yeah. like even like i've showed it to my parents and both my parents are like yeah that's a really good movie yeah it's so impactful right like and i feel like everyone can take something away from it yeah and mm-hmm. apply it to their own life yeah and like wow i've gone through that mm-hmm. i've experienced that before yeah not, not many movies can say that mm-hmm. for sure and it's only it's only 80 84 85 minutes long so yeah. it's a really really short movie yeah so like i mean my only complaint is that i wanted more yeah and like i mean and it's just but like it so it ends a little abruptly just because like even just, a lot even a lot of the side characters even though they don't might not have much lines given or a lot of time given on screen mm-hmm. their characters are still so deep oh i know because you're yeah. given a lot of like um not like you're given mm-hmm. a lot of exposition for these characters but it's not them just like just straight up saying it you have to like yeah. infer a lot yeah and so the, I, I love that about the movie yeah like, a lot of the characters are very deep True, yeah, and a big part of it is is the performances because they each yeah. of the characters have these different nuances about them, these different like little habits. Yeah, they feel like real people. Exactly. Yeah, and I really, really love this movie, and I and with it being so short, it's kind of like almost like a less is more thing. Yeah, it's almost like this glimpse at this like really seemingly small thing in this world of very saturated cinema that we live yeah. in, and I just I love it so much, and I just can't recommend it to enough that people to people that either haven't heard of it or haven't seen it yeah because it definitely flies under the radar for a lot of people for sure all right what's your number nine so speaking of flying under the radar yeah my number nine is uh me and earl and the dying girl back in 2015 mm-hmm. and i'm almost completely confident that not a lot of people have seen this movie mm-hmm. it's directed by alfonso gomez rejon I, wow. yeah. I don't I, his only other credits that i could find were the town that dreaded sundown <laughs> and the current war director's cut interesting yeah so this is the only movie by him i've ever seen and me too (laughs) uh this movie just feels completely unique and original and completely like he completely commands this story he makes he makes the movie that he you can tell he made the movie he wanted to make yeah and uh the movie is hilarious especially some of the side characters Mm -hmm. uh the perform uh, performances by uh thomas Mann and olivia cook are both great especially olivia cook as this girl who's uh has cancer right 
But um, RJ, uh, I think it's RJ Tyler. Is that Earl? Yeah, he yeah. plays Earl, and he is a bright spot. <laughs> yeah, he, he's very funny. I a lot that. of the humor comes from Earl, and he, he feels mm-hmm. like a real person. All these characters feel real, but like the best part of the movie is, it, especially with the main character and his relationship with this girl who has cancer, he doesn't want any attention brought to him he goes through high school on like under the radar he he has friends with everybody but none of them are good friends mm-hmm. his only real good friend is earl but he, re- he only refers to earl as his uh as his like business associate he doesn't yeah, ever that. he doesn't ever refer to him as his friend because he doesn't like want to be associated that deeply with people because mm-hmm. he just kind of gets by in high school and this and his mom makes him hang out with this girl who has cancer yeah. who's getting the most attention in the right. school like everyone's like oh how's she doing like is she going to be okay? Everyone's yeah. sending her gifts and presents and flowers. Mm-hmm. And her mom makes uh, him hang out with her. And just to see this relationship grow, because these are polar opposites. He doesn't want attention. She's getting all the attention. Yeah. And to see this relationship grow. And it doesn't just grow like romantically, because obviously there's a romance in there. They just become really, really great friends. Yeah. And uh, by the end of the movie, it's just so heartfelt and emotional. And I just, I felt like I knew these characters. Yeah. I, yeah, there's definitely a ton to admire in me or in Earl and the Dying Girl. Yeah. I haven't seen it since it came out in 2015, but I remember enjoying it. I definitely need to revisit it. I revisited it not too long ago. I, yeah, I remember Nick Offerman gave another supporting he performance that I really liked. That. But yeah, I thought you summed up that movie great. I think that it's another great movie, especially that came out in just a really pivotal time in our lives. Yep. And I think it benefits so much from that. And, and also it was really interesting because uh, one of the side things is um, – the main character played by Thomas Mann and uh, mm-hmm. Earl, uh, they make movies together. They remake yep, old that. movies. <laughs> and, like, they don't go too much into it in the movie. It definitely plays a big role. Yeah. But that little nuance was, like, it hit for me a lot because I love movies. And right, yeah. making movies is obviously mm-hmm. uh, something I want to do. Yeah. And so it wasn't, like, huge. But for me, it just helped me enjoy this movie yeah, way more. I remember that. Yeah, it's uh it reminded me of like the beginning of Tropic Thunder where they all have their <laughs> different like trailers for the movies they star in. But yeah. I like this version a lot more. It's a lot more like nostalgic and relatable. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely great pick. But um okay that so going into my number nine, so far we've had three movies that are very relatable in yeah. their unique ways and mainly in their portrayal of youth. But um so mine kinda goes a little bit off that. My number nine is uh my number nine movie, it gets better with every watch. I would say that. And uh, I, I've i probably seen it close to like 10 times now. Wow. And yeah, and it's mainly a lot of it, but I've seen probably the last 20 minutes of this movie probably like 20, 25 times. <laughs> this movie is Creed. <laughs> yes. I absolutely love Creed. Creed is probably the most, one of the most satisfying movies I've seen this year. Or I mean this decade, decade sorry, yeah. but... um. The way Ryan Coogler, he directed this movie mm-hmm. back in 2015, the way he directs this movie is is as good of a job you could do like yep. starting a new Rocky franchise. Yeah. You get this incredibly likable character right off the bat in Michael B. Jordan's Adonis Creed. and But he has this, he's got kind of this swagger to him, but it's kind of like he's an unlikable guy. He's kind of a, kind of a douche a little bit. I mean, yeah. but he's like, he's been to juvie. He's had a hard past. You feel for him, but, and right away, but you can tell that like, Coogler knows what he wants to do with this character and the fight scenes. Yeah. Because the fight scenes in this movie are better than any other fight scenes in a movie I've seen. Yeah. The way he utilizes the camera, he makes it seem as if there's no cuts whatsoever. The way he moves it too. They, yeah. He follows the boxers around the ring during these fights and it is, it's like you're in the ring with it. And that yeah. sounds like cliche, but he is such a just like unique eye for like sports and action and these characters. Mm-hmm. And it's it's truly remarkable. And then going off that though is the great performances in the movie. Yeah. So Michael B. Jordan is great as Donis Creed. Tessa Thompson is great as yep. Bianca, who's his love interest in the movie. And that relationship feels very real too. Yeah. They have great chemistry together. But the real star of the movie is Sylvester Stallone, who still is playing Rocky. He's mm-hmm. diagnosed with cancer, and it adds a completely new level of emotion that I don't think anybody was expecting going yeah. into this movie. It feels more and more heartfelt every time I watch it, and I wish they would have done more with it in Creed Two yeah. because they in Creed One I think it's handled in such a mature way. Yeah, and it helps everything from like him, just the way Creed handles him his time with Rocky into the ring too. When you just like you see Creed like getting knocked down and you want him to get up even more. Yeah, it is just some of the one of the better like um, examples of characterization i've seen in a movie uh this decade yeah that relationship between mm-hmm. creed um donnie and um rocky it's, it's awesome yeah yeah 
And although he, um, I think, I think he doesn't have enough screen time. That's my only complaint with him. But the villain in this movie is pretty Ricky Conlon. <laughs> he yeah. is taking his last fight before going to jail for gun possessions. Yep. And he is, he is this unique swagger to him. He is so incredibly quotable. He's got this thick accent. He's like the perfect Rocky villain, but yeah, he somehow absolutely. works so well in this movie too. And it's funny because when he's in the ring, he totally doesn't look like a boxer, just his body. Yeah. His movements are like his the, his hands, his feet, they're they're very athletic yeah. and they're very powerful. And the crazy thing is that he's a boxer in real life. This yeah. is like the only movie he's ever done. Yeah. And he's so convincing is pretty Ricky Conlon. And I hope if they do more Creed movies down the line, I hope he comes, comes back, back. Yeah. Because he, he is another bright spot in this movie that is he is so fun to watch mm-hmm. and he it's it just makes the whole movie better but creed i love the direction they've taken this like new spin-off rocky franchise yeah. and i enjoy creed 2 i certainly think creed 1's better but yeah. i can't wait to see where they go from here yeah i just actually rewatched creed not too long ago and mm-hmm. i agree with everything you said especially with the fighting scenes uh-huh. yeah because that when i saw it again it just i was like wow yeah i know the way he moves the camera it's it's yeah it's beyond impressive and then like i remember so back in the first episode of this when kobe manzo and i talked about like Star Wars incorporating the old with the new. Hmm. The way they do that in this movie too, uh, bringing in Rocky and Apollo and even the music from Rocky yeah. is so satisfying, yeah. especially the music. Yes. When they bring back that original Rocky theme, it's so satisfying. Because with uh, Star Wars, uh, I feel like they bring back the original theme way too much mm-hmm. and they overuse yeah. it and it, right. it loses yeah. its meaning. Not the case with this. Right, yeah. It feels very earned when it yeah. comes. And uh, even the new music, the, uh, there's this more uh, this rap, al- yeah. like a soundtrack for this movie. Works there's a lot well. of good songs yeah. on there. Works yeah. very well for this yeah. movie. Definitely. All right, what's your number eight? I mean, my number eight is um, technically, I would say, the best action movie of the decade. That's Bad Max Free Road. Nice. Um, yeah, the, the way this movie, the style of directing, the, uh, George Miller directs this. Um, his style of directing combined with this fast-paced story, you just feel like it's like high octane the whole time. Like you're just like on like this big rush for two hours, mm-hmm. and it doesn't really. There's like a couple scenes where it like slows down, but it's really just. It's like very brief though. Not yeah. much happens story-wise. Like go to this place, like come back, mm-hmm. but the action scenes, the way these like chases are like helmed, it's just stunning. <clears throat> and there's also an awesome guy playing a guitar. For a good majority of the movie, just yeah. adds like the style to this movie that just right. makes it feel like like you're like a, almost like a rock performance. Yeah, and it, it just it, it adds like I said, it adds to this like style of this movie that he was going for. Right. Yeah. Mad Max Fury Road de- was another one that would have been on my honorable mentions, mm-hmm. but I wanted to save it for you. And yeah. it's yeah, it's definitely got this adrenaline to it yeah. that is it's so rare in movies these days. It's and so it, rewatchable and quotable. Exactly. It, it, yeah, it works really well. The right the set pieces and the action themselves yeah. feel so real with just like the reliance on mostly practical effects yeah. it it looks so good and it so been, much better than most of the action movies we get today yeah it would have been so easy for george miller to because he's coming back to this universe because he obviously did right, the other yeah. mad max movies it'd be so easy for him to just like do a very thing something very similar to the old ones just with new like cgi right but instead he does use a lot of practical effects and just makes a completely new and unique like vision for this uh character yeah i i really like mad max fury road I am definitely anticipating the sequel for it. Yeah. And I definitely Whenever think we it's get it. yeah, one of the more rewatchable movies of the decade. And it's so, so new. Mm-hmm. And like and it feels that way every time you watch it because there have been some influential action movies this um decade, but Mad Max is so unique because you can tell that nobody but George Miller could like make yeah. a movie that feels like this one does. Yeah. Movies can try and imitate it all they want. I think we got it a little bit of it in um ad astra from this yeah. year there's like a space car chase on the moon and you can tell it like because it's almost like desert looking but yeah. the moon's obviously got these it's like gray and has these yeah. craters but you can tell it's so um especially with these cars too it's so heavily influenced from mad max fury road yeah and i can like i feel like that's the case with a lot of action movies um especially with these like great set pieces um from all over the globe yeah they're they're just trying to do what George Miller did, but nobody can do it as nope. well as he did. Especially yeah. the way he brings in the colors too. The oranges yeah. and blues in this movie just pops so they much. Do, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, and despite uh, also despite uh, the fact that the lead character uh, Mad Max, played by Tom Hardy, doesn't have much to say. Yeah, he's given quite a bit of backstory. Yeah, uh, 
with the he's got he gets like these visions yeah, throughout like minor like and really would, quick flashbacks and you would think that would be like lazy and i guess you could say it is but it first it works to this like maddening aspect of this movie yeah that he's going crazy right and i think a big part of it is the imagery of these flashbacks yeah like these visions because they're not just like cut scene back yeah no it's they're quick it's, they it's happen like, like during yeah, the they're, right scenes. they're like a couple seconds long and you see like um the people that um are we're led to believe were in his life that he has mm-hmm. since lost you see them like implemented into the scene that yeah. he's or like the situation he's in in that very moment yeah and so that part of it makes it right makes you feel for him more helps emphasize the maddening sense that mm-hmm. we're getting from him yeah definitely a great pick world and that i think is a great segue into my number eight pick which um this is what i, I personally think is in my opinion the most entertaining and the most influential action movie of this of the decade and that's john wick oh yes i the first john wick john wick especially i do love two and three but the first john wick is um it's it has basically started this this own genre of its own because i mean like we've obviously got the sequels but i don't without john wick we don't get movies like atomic blonde or a movie like nobody's ever called like anna that came out earlier this Mm -hmm. year but like I would say we we also wouldn't get a movie like Black Widow without the without the success of this. We probably yep. wouldn't get a show like The Mandalorian without yeah. the success of John Wick. And so much of John Wick comes from the direction of um, David Leach and Chad Stahelski, who did the first one together. It's just got this cool, like gritty, neon, like underground vibe to it, mm-hmm. and the action is so awesome in this yeah, movie. Yeah, right from the first action scene when um his house is being raided by these gangsters. And you see right away that it's going to be brutal in your face, but like very few cuts somehow, somehow tasteful at the same time, mainly in just that, like a way that you've never seen it filmed. So like precisely choreographed, but like simultaneously gruesome at the same time. It feels choreographed, but like not in a perfect way. It feels choreographed and like Mm -hmm. they're, these are professionals exactly doing what they do. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's so great to see Keanu Reeves in a role like this. He like, He's Back when the Matrix it. came out, uh, people were saying, you know, like this is Keanu's role. This is what he was made for. He's John Wick. He now. was born to play John Wick. He's John, John Wick. Wick is what he was born to be. Yes. And another thing that um, we t- we so like similar to like the flashbacks in Mad Max Fury Road, you get a hint at what Max's world is like. Mm-hmm. In John Wick, especially in the first one, you get hints at this like underground gangster type hitman world. Yeah. Where you know they've they've got a currency all of their own. They've got a certain hotel. The, the continental yep. where these hitmen can go and be completely safe. Yeah. Like no business can be done on these grounds in the way it's incorporated in this movie where it leaves so many doors open, but is yeah. also so satisfying and conclusive on its own within this movie is just one of the coolest, I think ways to portray this character in this story. And I think it works so incredibly well. Yeah. What I love about that aspect is, uh, uh, you're, you're thrown into this character's life after, uh, I assume uh, a y- maybe a year of yeah. leaving right that place. So uh, it's not him. Like you don't get to see him like first in back in with this like uh, this like mob gangster. And I feel like that helps add to like this uh, this like expanding like lore and universe because yeah, you don't sure. get to see everything that happens with this like I want to say like underground like mobster thing in the first movie because it's the first movie where I think has over the second two. Are, is a very personal uh, story to John Wick. I agree. Yeah, and you definitely feel how he feels with the loss of his wife very early on in the movie, and just um, and it's got one of the better dog performances in yep. movies over the over the past uh, over the decade. So, um, all right, Cam, what was your number seven? Okay, so uh, I guess we're onto an action movie role because I have my personal favorite action movie of the decade, and it's a lot, a lot of people. I feel like a lot of people act, don't actually like this movie a lot, but I don't see why. And that's Kingsman: The Secret Service. Ah, yes. This movie is awesome. It is endlessly rewatchable. Matthew mm-hmm. Vaughn directs it, as yep. we've mentioned him before. Um, yeah, I could I could watch this movie almost whenever. Mm-hmm. It's so entertaining. That's its style feels so unique to itself. I know a lot of people compare it to like a James Bond, and I guess in some ways it's similar, but in a lot of ways it's its own thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the lead character, Taron Egerton. Uh, plays Eggsy. He's yeah. very likable. You get to see like a little bit of what his life is like, and then he kind of gets thrust into this similar to John Wick, this like underground Kingsman service, right? Um, and uh, yeah, you get to see him kind of try and become essentially like a professional, like Kingsman, yeah, like a, a Kingsman, yeah. yeah. And so it has like this, yeah, like you said, a spy has mm-hmm. this that spy aspect going for it. It's mm-hmm. got 
some really creative uh, action sequences, especially Definitely. one in a church. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that scene. Yeah, it was one of my favorite action movies, mm-hmm. uh, scenes of the decade. And it also has, like, this, like, this funny, like, uh, satire almost feel to it as well, right. especially towards the mm-hmm. end. And, and to go along with that, the the villain played by Samuel L. Jackson fits that tone perfectly. Oh, yeah, his lisp, too, which you would think would be annoying, but it works so well in this. Yeah. Yeah, Kingsman is is awesome. Yeah. I love Kingsman, too, but um, not Kingsman 2. I love Kingsman. <laughs> Kingsman well. 2 is okay. But yeah. um, anyway, yeah, Kingsman, to me, feels like it's almost like people that, like, think James Bond it's, takes itself too serious yeah. and maybe don't find as much enjoyment of that, but find something like Austin Powers too ridiculous and not very funny. It's right in the middle. It's right in the middle and it works so well because mm-hmm. it has these these awesome action scenes that are incredibly creative like you said. Yep. But at the same time it's really funny. Yeah. And I'm so glad that this is the way that um, mainstream audiences got introduced to Taron Egerton yeah. who was, like who played Elton John and Rocket yep. Man this year and he's still in Kingsman movies. Yep. I, I think he's one of the better young actors we have and I'm yeah. and I think Kingsman is definitely an awesome awesome movie. Yep. All right, so that leads. So my number seven is um, <laughs> it's got it's a step down from some action movies. My number seven is uh, Manchester by the Sea. Oh yeah, which is um, too far from action. Yeah, it's a very heavy drama. Yeah, from 2016, d- written and directed by Kenneth Lonergan, and uh, oh, it's it's emotional. It's r- really depressing, yeah. <laughs> but it's surprisingly funny too. Yeah. It's and, got a lot of heart. Yeah. The best thing about it, though, is that, like, as heavy as it is, it's surprisingly rewatchable. Yeah. I don't I've think, seen the movie, like, yeah, three or four times. Yeah, me too. And I don't think a lot of people would say that, maybe, about this, but uh, I, for some reason, it has this, 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 um, I don't even know, this presence that draws me back. It's like an it. energy, almost. It really does. And it's almost an energy in the sense that, like, it's so, like, dull in the yeah. sense that, like, the characters in this movie are at, like, the bottom. Yeah. They're at rock bottom. Yeah. And, but... And you get to see this like rural Boston portrayed and like such a, in a way that you usually don't get to see Boston, no. which yeah. is really cool. And I think the performances work so well, especially from Casey Affleck yeah. and Lucas Hedges. And I mean, both of them were Oscar nominated. Casey Affleck won. One, yeah. But, and I mean, in like that, that's not saying enough about their performances yeah. because like they, you can, they portray these like these people that are just like damaged and have just experienced like some of the worst things they can work so well, especially Casey Affleck. Yeah. Because, like, if you think there is, like, any movie that, like, beats up its main character emotionally more than Manchester does, that, like, I, I haven't seen it. It doesn't, because no. He... what this guy has been through is so awful. And just the way that, like, he carries himself the whole movie perfectly embodies somebody that would have went through that. And it's, I, the, throughout this decade, I don't know if I've seen a movie that's better acted yeah. than Manchester by the Sea. And that's, like, the highest praise I can give it. And I mean, I can't recommend to enough people to watch this movie. It's just, it's really heavy. So I know that it turns a lot of people off from yeah. it, but it's just such a good movie with such a like consistently engaging story too. I mean, of just these people just trying to like find hope in places that like where they just seemingly can't. Yeah. And it, it all works so, so well for me. And I'm, I'm really glad that this movie came out and like that we still get dramas that are as impactful as this. Yeah. There are two scenes to me that stand out above mm-hmm. the rest. Uh, I absolutely love this movie. It was definitely going to be an honorable mention. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of, uh, there's one scene um, that features both Casey Affleck and uh, uh, Michelle Williams. Yep. And it's towards the end, and it mm-hmm. has to be one of the best acted scenes yeah. of the entire decade. Yeah, it's just a gut punch of yeah. a scene. And then uh, the other scene that I want to mention is there's a scene where he is in a, a, a cop station. And oh, um, yeah. he just wow. he's being interrogated by these cops, and mm-hmm. you get to see his reaction to something. I'm not going to spoil yeah. it, to something that happens. And the mm-hmm. way Casey Affleck uses his facial expressions, mm-hmm. the way he like looks around the room, yeah. the way you f- his body languages, you just it's perfect non-verbal acting, yeah. and his Definitely. reaction to what happens is so gut punching, yeah. and you just feel for this character, and yeah. you're like, wow, like yeah, it's it's hard to hold back tears in this movie, and like in a decade of movies where we get so many like based on true story movies, then those are usually the ones that are like the tear jerkers yeah. because like, you know, this actually happened Yeah, to get a movie as completely as original as this, but like as authentic as it is and to be like as tear inducing as it is, is really powerful. And I says, and I think it says a lot for Kenneth Lonergan who yeah. wrote and directed it. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So what is your number six? My number six is uh, Whiplash, directed by mm-hmm. Damien Chazelle. This is number two on my list. Yes. So I'm glad um, we're talking about this. Uh, do you want to wait 
no 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 we can do it now okay yeah so uh yeah this movie's amazing um Uh both performances especially jk simmons who won an oscar for it he plays this uh this very like cutthroat music instructor uh, or composer Mm -hmm. and then you have miles teller's character who uh wants to be essentially wants to be the greatest drummer ever yeah and uh, what i love about the movie is the way that it deals with the the pain and struggle and trauma that goes with trying to be the best at something right yeah because that's almost impossible to do you're gonna have mm-hmm. to go to places that are very dark and you have yeah. to do things like you have to like practice and work harder than anyone's ever practiced before and the way mm-hmm. um damien giselle directs some of the scenes that you see miles taylor practicing and performing oh, yeah. they're brutal. painful and <laughs> yeah. like he feel he's like it's almost like he's desperate like he wants this so bad that it's mm-hmm. taking everything out of him and it's an exhausting movie because yeah by the end of it you're like yeah you take a deep breath and mm-hmm. i'm like wow yeah you wouldn't expect a movie about drumming to be as intense as it is yeah and this movie is so incredibly intense but the um yeah the just this story of just it, it it like it's so it doesn't have to be about drumming of just somebody with the aspirations to be the very best yeah because a lot of people say that <laughs> like a lot of people can talk the talk but it is very rare that you find someone that can walk the walk yeah. and like Miles Teller's just ambition in this movie and just J.K. Simmons' persistence of like mm-hmm. seeing greatness in him and just beating him down. Yeah, that's why as much he pushes he him so hard in this movie because yeah. he sees like that spark yeah. that not a lot of people have. And it's really cool because I think in an era where I think America as a whole has gotten consistently like softer. Yeah. With, you know, like everybody says like, you know, part- participation awards and yeah. stuff like that. This is like, <laughs> if you if you get offended easily, like don't watch this yeah. movie. No, nope. And like it's and it's so cool to see like just a person being pushed to their breaking point, like because you don't get to see that a lot on screen as as effectively as it's done in this and in a context like this. Mm -hmm. And it works so, so well. And I think it's um, definitely due in part to J.K. Simmons, who is magnificent, but also doesn't get enough credit as Miles Teller. Yeah, he's he's really, really good. And he's Mm -hmm. super convincing in all the drumming scenes, too, which like and that also highlights how great the music is in this. movie. Yeah. The Music's jazz in this movie, Caravan, Whiplash, the songs in the movie are really, really good. <laughs> yeah, there's songs that, like, they don't have any yeah. lyrics to them, and right. I've still yeah. gone back and listened to those yep, songs. Me too. Yeah, it's it's an awesome movie, and the music, I think, elevates it so much. And I think it's, it tackles subject matter that I wish, and I wish, and I don't understand why it's not t- um, tackled more. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't, I can't picture anybody else tackling it better than Damien Chazelle. Yeah. So that was my number two, and you're number six. Yes. So my number six, six is um, Dunkirk, my second favorite Christopher Nolan movie behind The Dark Knight, and I definitely his best of the decade for me, better than Inception, better than Interstellar, better than Dark Knight Rises. I think Dunkirk is the not only the most intense uh, war movie of the decade, it's the best war movie of the decade, yeah. one of the best war movies I've ever seen, Yeah. if definitely. not the best for me, honestly. And so much, and it's and it's all without blood. The movie's rated PG thirteen. I yep. mean, and it's um, doesn't need to be gruesome. It doesn't, but yeah, and it's just as impactful. And a big part of why I like this movie so much is the storytelling. Yeah. Storytelling is so cool. So unique. And I mean, like, so I've seen this movie I think four times. First time I saw it, I'm not. I was sixteen years old, saw it in theater, and I'm not gonna lie, I didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was cool. I thought it looked really cool, but I didn't understand it at yeah. all. And then I saw it again, and I was. And I was like, oh, okay, this is happening, but this hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And then I saw it a third time and I was like, okay, I get it. And now I saw it a fourth time and now I could completely understand the story and take in the spectacle of everything at the same time. And it, and this movie just begs for multiple viewings. If you've seen it once and you just like thought it didn't make sense, please, please, please watch it yeah. again. It gets so much better. The decision to tell three different stories at the same time, one taking place over an hour, one over a full day, and mm-hmm. one over a week. So riveting. Start yes, to finish. Just weaving them together is such a unique idea. And yeah. Nolan does that with all of his movies where he finds new ways to tell these non-linear stories. Yeah. And the way he's able to do this, I mean, he's got a lot of different characters in the movie, but um, in the way he's able to just weave these themes of like hope and not giving up, yeah. which is like sounds like a cliche theme but it's especially in um the the world of war mm-hmm. it's i think it, it works really Very well real. yeah and it hits close to home for a lot of people and it works really really well the movie is like 
inspirational in that yeah. sense and i really enjoyed watching this movie even from like a filmmaking standpoint oh my yeah the action scenes are amazing yeah <laughs> everything like i said the spectacle of this movie yeah it's beautiful every, yeah, it's another thing with like the reliance on practical effects the way they incorporate the water into this movie the, yeah and yeah. there's not that much dialogue to carry the story either there's and barely it's, any <laughs> it's almost all just visual story Nolan behind the camera right. pushing the story along and it's uh-huh. it's it's a, it's a sight to see yeah it's it's definitely awesome all right, Cam, what is your number five? Okay, my number five is uh, my second favorite sci-fi movie of the decade, and that is Arrival, directed okay. by Denis Villeneuve. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a completely unique sci-fi movie. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. So many times we get like these, especially when dealing with extraterrestrial mm-hmm. beings, Right. you get like these like daint, like almost like like impending doom when you get like stuff like independence day and right. uh, movies like that where like you have aliens trying to do harm and like they're invading earth a lot of movies involving aliens are invading earth but this mm-hmm. movie takes a step back and um and it takes the approach of like okay they're here and they they're invading we, we want to know why they're here mm-hmm. and um the way we see the main character uh played by amy adams uh, trying not only teach these beings how to communicate with her she mm-hmm. also learns about the being's way of communicating to each mm-hmm. other. Yeah. And that, that vision, uh, you, you kind of see the fully fulfilled in the end and mm-hmm. it's really cool, mm-hmm. but I've never seen anything like that done before. The mm-hmm. idea of somebody like understanding an extraterrestrial being's w- perception of language and time. Mm-hmm. And since they know that they can see it the way they can. Yeah. And then not only to just do that, but then to take it and ground it with some, uh, great ideas of like, if you could see the, your whole life before it happens, would you change anything? Like yeah. the way it's able to ground it and make it like a, a story about humanity and also has a lot of great stuff about like language uh, barriers within the human race. And yeah. like, uh, just like we need to like work together and especially in the times of crisis yeah. and uh, the way it's able to just encapsulate all that into this movie is I've never seen a sci-fi movie do that. Yeah. The themes I think in this movie or in arrival stick out. Yeah. Far above anything for me, but, um, Big part of it too. Big part of it too is the cinematography. Oh and yeah. Like, I mean, first of all, just the landscapes of seeing these alien ships land all across the world in the U.S. But um, also just um, the design of like the heptapods themselves. Yeah. Very the unique. The aliens in the movie. They're, throughout the movie, they're mainly just like shadows. Yeah. <laughs> in a sense, but like, they're. I think the design of them, the design of like their language and the way they use it is really really cool. I think Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner are both awesome in this yeah. movie. And yeah, I agree. It tackles some stuff in sci-fi about like life, like a lot of sci-fi movies do. But like a different but aspect in a, in of a life. a completely new yeah. way. Yeah, in a very original way. And it works really, really well. And it makes you step back and look at things in a perspective you're completely not used to. Yeah, and especially the ending of the movie will have you thinking about mm-hmm. the movie for a long time after Definitely. it's over. Yeah. Because the way the movie wraps up, you're like, okay, whoa, mm-hmm. like what happened? Like, let me think about this for a second. Right, yeah. And if you, especially if you go back and revisit it, you can kind of see that full vision, uh, that full vision arc of like the language uh, involved. Yeah. And um, I think it makes a movie endlessly rewatchable because I've seen the movie probably close to 15 times. Wow. And yeah. uh, the music is also great, even though I don't think it is original uh, music. I think it uses it from a previous film. Okay. But uh, I, I don't yeah, know I don't that know. for sure. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Denis, he continues to just make incredible films yeah uh, and this is my second favorite movie of the decade from him yeah denis villeneuve in my opinion wins the decade for best director yeah he has released a lot of movies this year or i mean i'm sorry this decade yeah. and uh and one of his movies comes in at number five for me and that movie is prisoners my personal favorite denis villeneuve movie and prisoners on the surface is probably the most conventional sounding of his movies it's about you know two families neighbors that are very close and both of their daughters are kidnapped during like a Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. And it's basically just about the search from them. But, and on the surface, that may sound kind of generic, but it's still appealing to a wide array of um, audiences. But the real like story of this movie is the just descent into madness of the father, mm-hmm. both fathers, honestly, the families as a whole, and the police detective assigned yeah. to this case. So you get to see this traumatic incident through the lens of like, five different sets of eyes Mm -hmm. and so that part it is it is like it'll like rip your heart out just to see how different people react to this horrible situation yeah and but it's also consistently engaging because every scene with a new character feels like a different perspective to something that's that's happened to everybody 
in in the movie at least so that in that sense it makes this two and a half hour runtime of the movie which can be scary and daunting like i don't know if i want to sit down for that it makes yeah. it go by so fast yeah because i've seen like like arrival i've seen this movie for arrival for you i've probably seen this movie probably not 15 times but i've seen it more than i've seen a lot of the other movies on this list yeah and i enjoy it just as much every time and a big part of that too similar to arrival is the cinematography yeah <laughs> with i'm pretty sure that both these movies are roger deakins but i might be wrong on that but um i don't know and but what this movie does it takes place and i think it's it's rural i want to say like pennsylvania and so it's like a lot of just like or it's just i'm sorry like suburban pennsylvania yeah. so you get a lot of these like neighborhoods and like th- things that would be usually uninteresting yeah like just to look at on screen but like the way he just um the people behind the camera make like this feeling of dread just yeah. completely wash over this like entire community is is something that i haven't seen in any other movie and so i really admire it for that but it's also the performances of this movie oh yeah from a surprisingly stacked cast hugh jackman jake gyllenhaal terrence howard paul dano mm-hmm. and melissa leo i can go on viola davis they're all great yeah. they all handle the situation differently like i said and you feel for all of them and i think that it is so incredibly intense too mm-hmm. like it is one of the most tension-filled movies i've seen this summer which leads up to a climax that is incredibly rousing and like one of the last one of the probably the best last like two minutes of a movie i've ever seen yeah like it leaves a lot open and but it's also like closes some doors it like helps emphasize certain themes presented throughout the movie and it is so 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 cool in that way and i think that it just on the surface being just a kidnapping movie and but just being so much deeper beneath the surface is what makes this movie stick out for me so much yeah and i think uh for a lot of movies, especially movies like this, uh, the ending can be hard to handle. And yeah. I, I, I don't say this a lot with endings of movies, but yeah. this is, I think this movie has a perfect ending. Yeah. And like, I, I don't think you could have yeah. ended it any better. I, that's the way how it is with a lot of Denis movies, mm-hmm. like Prisoners, like Arrival, mm-hmm. that has a really, really great ending. Like yeah. Sicario, that was on my honorable mentions. That movie has a really, really intense climax yeah. and ends really well. Yeah, the guy, he just knows what he's doing behind mm-hmm. the camera, and it is increasingly more and more evident with every movie that comes out from him. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so I think we're on to your number four, correct? Yes, my All number right. four is Moneyball, directed by Bennett Miller. Yep, that's my number three, so we'll take the time to talk about this now. Okay, so I I love the sport of baseball, so right off yeah. the bat, that's going to... It just yeah. makes me so much more invested in this story. Yeah. And I didn't know much, like, it, it's in 2002 season. Yep, 2002. And so I was only two years old, so I had yeah. no idea I have anything to do with the situation. The way he handles this, like, um, um, Billy Beans and, like, his story, the way uh, Bennett Miller handles it is, it's, it's in such a, like, a, uh, it's like, it's fun, but, like, he's desperate at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it really it does a great job of uh, showcasing the sport of baseball is like in depth. It's not mm-hmm. just like yeah. on the. It's not one of those sports movies that's on the surface. It oh, really yeah. dives deep into the sport of baseball. Uh, you could see a lot about scouts. You could see about like salary caps. Um, what it takes to run a team, yeah. which I don't think a lot of sports movies dive oh, into. Definitely not. And um, it's based on a true story, which um, mm-hmm. like in itself is kind of incredible. But um, also it's got a very early uh, Chris Pratt performance it does scotty h scott yes. hatterberg and uh yeah the music is great mm-hmm. the way it incorporates a billy bean's daughter is great and it's just yeah i can i well, i've seen this movie so many times and i love it every time right so i yeah i've also seen this movie many many times and like i said it's number three on my list i just rewatched it two days ago three mm-hmm. days ago so it's very fresh on my mind you yeah. know one of the things i love about this movie is that um it's it's honestly this riveting dialogue driven movie yeah disguised as a baseball movie yeah so like a lot of people go into it expecting a baseball movie but get something totally different yeah and that i love about it and while it's also about baseball the friendship at its core between yeah jonah hill and brad pitt's character is so yeah, their chemistry is amazing. it's it's it's, ama- it's hilarious yep they like they work well together they're completely believable in the yeah. roles they're in and like the conversations they have feel like something that would happen in, in a front office at for of, a, of an mlb team yeah like that scene of um of the trade deadline yeah and going back and forth with different yes. gms trying to get different players one of the best scenes of the yeah. decade for me so entertaining uh-huh. and um also in it, the part the thing that makes it work so well with their relationship specifically is you get brad pitt's character who has this swagger and this confidence like Brad Pitt does in a lot, in a lot of the movies he's yeah. in. He's got this immediate cool factor to him. Mm-hmm. And Jonah Hill in this movie is so <laughs> insecure about yeah. himself and he's so like nerdy. That but he's smart though. He, he He's very smart in the movie. 
And so the two have this like this yin yang type of relationship yeah. and it just makes their relationship so much more beautiful, honestly, and the dynamic between them so much more believable. Yeah, it's like almost like he he has such a great knowledge for like not only the sport of baseball, but like in depth, like what it like takes yeah. to build a team right, and yeah. find talent. And it, it's almost as if Billy Bean was the first person to like give him a chance right, to yeah. really shine. He had the economics degree from Yale, but yes. somehow he ended up in baseball. Yeah. And um, to go off of Chris Pratt as Scott Hatterberg, that, that Scott Hatterberg home run scene against the Royals awesome. to get them to, the, to get their 20th game uh, in a row that they've won is it remind it's like creed in the way that it's it's endlessly rewatchable you get chills it's so satisfying. i just got chills thinking about it i know yeah <laughs> it's it's honestly probably one of my favorite scenes if not my favorite scene of the decade yeah and i just i love 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 the way that they t- they chose to tell this story and how effectively they were in pulling yes it okay so that was your number four right Correct. okay that brings me into that brings me into my number four which is uh the social network Ooh. Mm-hmm. which is uh directed by um david Similar fincher moneyball it was moneyball yeah moneyball and the social network were both written by the same guy oh wow aaron sorkin yeah who is probably the best writer we have yeah. today yeah. so yeah this movie came back all the way back out in 2010 and when facebook was like at its peak yeah and now we get to see like pa- facebook is um really not as popular as it used to be at least not with like a younger college crowd and high yeah. school crowd as it's portrayed in the movie but we um we see the impact of it and what it's yeah. created in basically in just like a society that is so incredibly dependent on technology and social media. Yeah. And, um, so this David Fincher, um, Aaron Sorkin combo, I think is the best of the decade. Yeah. The writer director combo of the decade. So David Fincher has this way of making these movies that feel like so it's, it's, it's almost bleak in a way. It's really dark. Cause like the movie takes place a lot of it at Harvard university. Yeah. And so, but you get these like deep like these greens and like browns mixed into like the cinematography and the coloring of this movie that it feels like bleak and almost ominous like in the way that like you know something isn't right yeah and so that like that whole aspect of it completely heightens the the tension around these arguments that mm. just consistently get more and more tension filled as the movie goes on because yeah. um the performances by Jesse Eisenberg and Andrew Garfield and great. even Justin Timberlake, yeah. who is great in this movie, they're yep. all great, and mm-hmm. like they're all so believable. And it, it's and it's a huge part is like we said to that quick dialogue. The yes. whole movie is so like quippy and back and forth, mm-hmm. and it's two hours of just sitting in a room talking, pretty much. And it is so 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 riveting, and it's crazy how coming back in, in back in 2010, how applicable it is to the times we live in now. Yeah. And I think it's another one of those movies that's endless re- endlessly rewatchable. And I mean, it's without any action, really. And and it's just, it's something that it's hard to take your eyes off of. And yeah. It's got some of the best dialogue I've ever seen in a movie. It just goes to show that, like, if you have a story and a, a guy or multiple people who really know what direction they want to take that story, mm-hmm. just how quick and entertaining they can make a story completely out of dialogue right. feel and how yeah. tense that's yeah. not easy to do making dialogue feel as tense as they do in the social network is not an easy yeah. feat and they do it yeah i know and it's set up right from the opening scene when jesse eisenberg's in the go- in the bar yes. with his girlfriend yeah and it all and it all just like continues to just ramp up from there and one of the things i also love about this movie it doesn't really relate to the quality of the movie it's just the marketing around it i don't yeah. know if you remember the trailer that first came out when this movie was released and it just had like this like slow like operatic like music with it and it was just like pictures of just like facebook <laughs> honestly <laughs> And it, um, and it just like was a really weird trailer to release for this like movie with such a star-studded cast and yeah. really talented people behind the camera, but it just added more mystery behind the movie and I think encouraged more people to go see it. Yeah. And in like in hindsight, that's what I think happened because this is this is a successful movie. Yeah. Financially, and so like I wish we got more of that today, especially in a world where trailers seem to give away so much. Not only that, uh, we do get a lot of these based on true stories that tend up that tend to be a lot more generic than they probably should be. Right. So mm-hmm. it's 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 great to see um, Dave Fincher take on this and make it as unique as it is. Yeah, I 100% agree. All right, Cam, what was your number three? Okay, so my number three is I know I know you have not seen this movie. Yes, I think it's the only movie and on your list I haven't seen. This movie, I this. This movie affected me more so than any movie I saw this decade, and that is Sing Street, back in 2016, directed by John Carney, who mm-hmm. uh, has a history in music, because this is uh, yeah. a story about a um, a kid who uh, lives in uh, Ireland, or I believe it's Ireland. I think it is, yeah. And um, uh, obviously there's a lot of problems surrounding the economy in Ireland in this, in this story, but mm-hmm. he is um, his family's kind of struggling, so he has to go to a new school, 
And so uh, that's kind of starts out this story. And his parents are also going through divorce. So his kid's going through a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, John Carney has a history in music because he did Once and Beginning End. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Once, but I have seen Beginning End. And it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Sing Street is without a doubt my favorite movie of his. And um, the this movie, like I said, it just affected me. It's got some of the like most applicable applicable themes to my life I've seen in the movie. Oh, cool. The way it, the way like this kid like, cause he gets to this new school and he um, he looks across the street and there's this there's this girl that he instantly is attracted to, but uh, she doesn't go to the school cause she's 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 old enough to be in the school but she's trying to be a model, and uh, so she thinks she's and she's dating an older guy so she's kind of too cool to be in school. Yeah. But he's instantly drawn to this girl and so he goes over and talks to him, talks to her and um. She he uh doesn't really have a lot of like confidence um but he does build up the confidence to go talk to her and when he does he mentions that he's in a band which he has not made yet mm-hmm. so I love the way that it uses the character's passion of music to help him build confidence as a person yeah and then you get to see him uh, go make new friends who also love music and um and they fill this they they uh, made they uh they make this band up and uh then the story of them is just making music and then trying to like make make it in the music industry which is mm-hmm. impossible to do especially considering they're in ireland so a big part of the movie is they have to eventually go across uh sail across the sea to uh i think it's london mm-hmm. i don't know exactly where it is but uh yeah and the, all the music is great i love all the songs there's some they're all original music um performances are amazing and uh especially towards the end of this movie there's a there's a couple themes that like are present throughout, but they don't really hit home until the end. Mm-hmm. And one in particular about the um, um the importance of a like a bondship of brothers yeah. and uh the relationship between a younger brother and an older brother and how the older brother helps the younger brother yeah. through his life and pave the way. Right. And you see that full that arc come to a complete mm-hmm. uh complete circle at the end. And I have an older brother, yeah, and that too. just affected me in like such a deep and emotional way. Yeah. And uh, I just people need i feel like people should see this movie because now yeah. people have it's got great music and it's very entertaining for nothing if you don't have anything to relate to it about it's still just like a coming of age story about yeah a band making music and i think people can find enjoyment out of that alone yeah well i definitely need to see this movie i'm kind of mad that i haven't but it sounds like it's really really impactful in another movie that and uh ironically uh, um it actually kind of applies to today a lot too because there's a scene where he he's trying to find a style for his band because a big part of uh, like making your band become popular is you have to find a unique style for your band. Right. So in doing that, he starts wearing makeup to mm-hmm. school, and uh, he goes to an all Catholic school, and it's very cutthroat. Yeah. And so there's some great scenes where the um, and a lot of times in these Catholic schools, the uh, they're not, it's like the like the like the minister almost of the school. They like yeah. kind of run everything. They have more power than everybody, and there's no one who can check them. So they're able to do whatever they want. So there's a lot of great scenes of. This uh this uh this like priest guy who has like these set of rules that he's not breaking because guys aren't supposed to wear makeup or right. he um can't wear he has brown shoes but he needs black shoes to the school yeah. and uh, so there's some great scenes of them uh, feuding back and forth and he had like abusing his power to like get what he wants with this kid and there's also one song that's called Brown Shoes that hmm. from that scene he makes the song and just like stuff like that seeing it come full circle for this character is just it's so great and. He just makes you love this character, and when he, like, when he gets what he wants, when he like gets to where he wants to go, you really feel like you made it there with him. Oh, cool! Yeah, definitely need to see Sing Street, and it sounds like it's another movie that like you saw it at the right time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So, um, my number three was Moneyball, so we already covered that, and my number two was Whiplash, so we already covered that. So let's go to your number two. Okay, so my number two is uh, my favorite Denis movie of the decade, and it's Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Yeah, would have been an honorable mention for me. Yeah, so uh, I love the original. In my opinion, uh, the original is still better. I think the original is more influential and iconic. Um, yeah. But that's not to say anything talked down in this movie in any way. I think it's the greatest sequel ever made. Um, the way uh, Denis helms the camera with Roger Deakins, Roger Deakins, honestly, perfect cinematography. I don't think I've yeah. ever seen cinematography yeah. done as well as mm-hmm. it is in this movie. And um, the music is loud in your face, and it yeah. kind of gives it this, like, adds to this, like, sci-fi feel, but... It, it contrasts the way the story is because the story is very subtle and quiet because yeah. the main character played by Ryan Gosling, he doesn't talk a whole mm-hmm. lot because uh, he's, a, he's a replicant. And the way that Denis like, 
make makes like these like surprises along the way because it's a two hour two and a half hour movie oh longer than yeah it's like 245 but there are so many like surprises in the story that happen throughout that the movie does not feel long at all yeah and um harrison ford is great coming back uh, yeah one of his more energetic roles yes memory um and yeah i i just i love this movie so much yeah i and uh the ending is amazing as well true yeah yeah i love what you said about the the music and how it basically like juxtaposes the movie because the music's loud in your face and the story itself is really more kind of like somber and personal yeah Yeah. but um and yeah it's and that goes on to the cinematography the cinematography somehow accomplishes this feat of making this this um it's essentially like a wasteland at this point feel so vast and like you can see how it was once as energetic as it seems it was but at the same time, he makes it seem so desolate at mm-hmm. the same time. And I think it's a very interesting and potentially accurate depiction of the future. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's 30 years in the future, but I can definitely see, like, especially like how we are the road we're heading down with our reliance on technology yeah. and just the role technology especially plays in this movie in a, like within the supporting performance of Ana de Armas, who is like really blossomed into one of the better actresses we yeah. have from this decade. She is great as joy in yeah. this movie, a almost like an artificial intelligence that is plays this major role in his life. And that's mm. so applicable to today, but in even the story at its core is so, so um, somehow works so well within this like broader uh, like spectacle of everything. Yeah. And I really, really appreciate this movie. I've only seen it the one time, but I really want to see it again. And both, yeah, I've seen the first Blade Runner a handful of times, and yeah. I, I agree. I think I like it a little bit more, but, like, that is n- definitely not taking anything away from this movie because I agree it's definitely one of the best sequels I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I think that Denis, I think, just continues to prove himself with every single movie he makes, yeah. and it's just beyond impressive what this guy can do. Yeah. Okay, so that's basically everything we have except for our number one and our number one yep it's the it's the same movie yeah there i there's no surprise a movie yeah a movie that definitely when i first saw it swept me off my feet and like the adjective that comes to mind when i think of this movie is poetic and i think that a lot of people will find that generic or cliche but like everything about this movie feels perfect to me yeah and it's a perfect movie in my eyes everything in this movie bursts off the screen in all the right ways and that movie is 2016's la la land directed by damien chazelle yes now the colors in this movie are something that i really want to highlight because the whole movie takes place in los angeles yeah and city of stars yep and everything it highlights in the movie from daytime to nighttime these blues these purples and seasons too yeah the seasons right yeah the movie takes place over the four seasons Mm and but like you get the the blues and the purples from the skyline Mm -hmm. but then you get these like fantastic costumes of these reds yellows whites whites everything and it all like pops yeah and it all it makes you feel like you're in a dream yeah and like which is like which is a very like prevalent theme in the movie Mm -hmm. in the way that he makes it and in the relationship that exactly yeah. yeah And the way Damon Chazelle is able to make this movie feel like a dream, but also like this really grounded and realistic story of like this relationship that isn't really meant to be, but yeah. is, it seems almost like too perfect. Yeah. And at the same time, it, it's so incredibly important to both of their lives mm-hmm. is it's so incredibly impressive. And I, it's, it's one of the, if not the best movies I've ever seen. Yeah. And the music is absolutely incredible. Oh my God. Yeah. I got, I got two Oscar nominations for a song, didn't it? I think so. Yeah. It won for uh, city, city of stars. stars. And mm-hmm. then the other nomination was somewhere in the crowd. I think so. Yeah. 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 All the music is amazing. Right, yeah. Um, Probably Justin to Hurwitz, I believe is his yeah, name. He composes it. Yeah. And whiplash. Right. He does. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, he also did first man, Damien yes. Chazelle's other movie from yes. this decade. But that yeah. Duo. Um, yeah, and I think that this this soundtrack I probably listened to any other, more than any other movie. Yeah, of recent without memory. a doubt. Yeah, with yeah for sure. But then um, a big part of this movie, going along with the music, is also the choreography because oh, this, this yes. is a musical. Yeah, and the dance numbers, especially the opening one, "Another Day of Sun" on the highway, mm-hmm. is so like that first one is such an borderline old, uh, perfect that, that <laughs> first that first dancing was is such a, like a love letter to old school West Hollywood Side story yes. everything yeah mm-hmm. uh, singing in the rain like everything. Yeah. Which like, it doesn't take any away anything from this movie either. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because it feels completely it, its own. It reminds me of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in a lot of yeah. ways, where it's like this love letter, but it's wholly its own at the same yeah. time. I think this movie succeeds more in telling this more personal story that flows in this way that works so well, telling it across these four seasons, but incorporating this editing that helps the movie flow at this mm-hmm. like 
very consistent pace in like yes. seeing this relationship develop properly, yeah. seeing their lives with their careers develop properly. Yeah. It all works so well for me. And, uh, and, uh, I think the cinematography is perfect because they have a lot of long takes in this movie. Oh yeah. Like it's a so lot of scenes, a lot of scenes that have minimal cuts Yeah, and that, that not only helps to emphasize the colors, but like the scenery of the, where the characters are is always like something, there's always something to look at. That's really cool that you mm. don't see every day. And I love that so much about it. But, um, Another thing that makes this movie as great as it, as it is is the chemistry between uh, yeah. Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. Yeah, I mean, it, this isn't the first movie they've done together. And, no, and it's it's obvious, and it's their chemistry is unbelievable. Yeah, they make they mm-hmm. make for the most believable on screen yeah. couple I've seen in a long time. In the in the scenes where they're happy together, and mm-hmm. in the scenes where they're arguing, yeah, both of them feel almost improvised because yeah. they their dialogue and their mannerisms bounce so well off of each other. Yeah, and I think the um. The thing that really, um, like you said about the whole dreamlike thing, mm-hmm. the way I think also makes this movie stand out above the rest is uh, the decisions he that Damien Chazelle makes, especially towards the end. Yeah. Because um, I saw this with my mom, and my mom personally did not like the ending. <laughs> Same with my mom the first time she saw it. Yes, but I like I said about uh, Prisoners having a perfect ending, I think right. this is the perfect ending. Yep, I agree. Like, it's, yeah. I don't want to spoil anything, but... Right. The themes that they set up in this movie mm-hmm. would not be properly conveyed if if the movie had the ending that you would expect to happen and like it's the movie ends in a way you wouldn't expect Mm -hmm. but in that way it's so much more impactful and yes and it's more impactful in the sense that it makes you step back and think about the movie in a broader sense think about what the ending means for each of the characters and it's really honestly (laughs) inspirational and more satisfying than the conventional ending that they easily could have gone for yeah the the ending is honestly like it it's like and if it depends on how you look at it, but the way I saw it, it was very like optimistic, and like yeah, you could tell sure. that both of these characters had the rest of their life ahead of them. They were had like yeah. such great promise, and they were gonna mm-hmm. live happy lives. They're gonna live happy lives, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. La La Land is to me as perfect as a movie gets. Yeah, and uh, I think more people should see it, and I think a lot of people especially people that you and I know haven't seen it yeah. mainly because it's a musical and they're turned off from yeah. it. Yeah. I I personally love musicals. Yeah, I think um, this movie's given me an appreciation for musicals because I yeah. definitely used to not like them. Well, cuz uh uh I really love Singing in the Rain. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen West Side Story. Um uh I can't think of any other top of my head, but yeah, yeah. I love musicals and uh this is by far my favorite yeah. musical. Without and, um, yeah. Without La La Land though, I don't think we get movies like The Greatest Showman or yeah. like unfortunately cats but um, <laughs> but like i'd gl- dare I'm, you I'm mention gl- cats yeah i know i know i'm sorry but i'm glad to see that it's helping like musicals come back because it's truly great and it's deserves to be seen by as many eyes as yeah possible. i think i've seen this la la land more so than any other movie yeah this Moneyball and uh, i think prisoners i think i've seen and maybe creed because too. I start to creed finish also. i've probably only seen la la land like seven or eight times yeah. but like bits and pieces oh yeah i can't even i find myself rewatching a lot of certain scenes yeah. quite often all right, well, that wraps up our top 10 movies of the decade. Cam, thanks for being my guest yet again. There's Glad no, to be here, as There's always. nobody else I'd rather have this conversation with. Thank that you. wraps up the first season of the True Critic Podcast, and I could not be happier with the direction it's going, and I'm looking forward to starting season two. I'll see you all later. Critic Podcast is a production of Coat Media Group. I'm Jake Rydquist, the host, writer, and executive producer of the True Critic Podcast. Our producers are Teddy Hirschfield and Kobe Manzo. Our executive producer is Teddy Hirschfield, and our associate producer is Kobe Manzo. Our theme song is Tech Knowledge by Peter Spacey, found from Artlist.io. Coat Media Group is your source for professional, quality, video editing, and audio content for corporate and personal video production. You can contact Coat Media Group at coat.mediagroup at gmail.com or you can visit their website at www.coatmediagroup.weebly.com.